Hello, everyone, and welcome to Best One Since the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than the effectiveness threshold of oceanic repellent bat sprays in meters into film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. This is officially our Batman on screen series, and we're starting. Our very first episode in it is going to cover Batman the movie, otherwise known as Batman 66, starring Adam West and Burt Ward. To kick off the series in the best way possible, (laughs) we have Batman aficionado and I Read Comic Books podcast host, Paul Jaisley. Paul, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, John. One of my favorite things to talk about is Batman. I think my second favorite thing to talk about is Adam West as Batman. So (laughs) I'm very excited to talk about this movie. And uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning the I Read Comic Books podcast. I've been a co-host and contributor to that podcast. We've been going on for six years now, starting year seven of that podcast, which is pretty bizarre to say out loud. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, if you like comic books, you can check that out. We are dropping new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a panel type show where we have a rotating number of contributors, all different um, tastes in comics. So it's not just superhero stuff. It's all sorts of stuff, manga, obscure comics, art comics. Everything's covered under the sun there. Uh, it's, a, it's a good time. And then we also have a Patreon uh, where we have bonus audio, bonus episodes, including in I Read Comic Books Movie Club that I host, where we discuss all types of comic book related films, adaptations, documentaries, and the like. You can find that at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. That's my plug. Paul, I didn't ask. <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> didn't mean to ramble there. No. <laughs> on top of all that, Paul being um, one of the hosts on that show uh, and a Batman fan, Paul is also one of my very good friends. So, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> full disclosure. I can, full disclosure. I'm going to get this out up front. If at any point you're like, John is really being an asshole to Paul on this podcast. It's, <laughs> it's earned. So today we're starting the series with uh, Batman 66. Paul, describe briefly your your relationship to Batman. Why is he your favorite superhero? Uh, yeah, I was trying to think about that, and I couldn't really pinpoint exactly my earliest memory of Batman or what made me attracted to the character. I've just always been a fan. And from my earliest memories, uh, I've liked the character, and I've liked pretty much every iteration, more or less. I, I celebrate the whole canon, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm old enough to remember seeing the Tim Burton Batman film from 89 in the theater that came out the summer I turned seven. So I was the right age to be inundated with Batmania. The <laughs> thing was, I was already a fan. Like I, I, I was also old enough to have seen sort of the last few seasons of the superpowers cartoon, you know, that featured the sort of ersatz justice league. Uh, I was like the super friends spinoff. And I had all the action figures and Batman was always my favorite because he looked the coolest and had the coolest car. And um, I was such a fan of Batman. I remember sitting in the movie theater watching the Tim Burton movie and like nitpicking it as a six year old. <laughs> saying, Paul, like, Paul, <laughs> Paul, that's the, that, for, for listeners, that's the most on brand Paul Jaisley uh, <laughs> sentence ever uttered. It's, uh, it's, yes. I, it's really remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember sitting in the theater and thinking everyone knows Joe Chill killed uh, Bruce's parents, not this guy. And then like, why are the machine guns of the Batmobile? It didn't make sense to me. But regardless, I liked that movie. I was such so excited that my favorite superhero was plastered everywhere that summer. Um, if you remember that summer, it was like literally Batmania. And that's not that's not hyperbole. Like the character, that image was everywhere. The movie was so huge. It's hard to express just how insane the bat fever was at that point. Like it was Batman 89 was like the biggest deal of of our lives up to that point. It was, <laughs> there was there was nothing like it in terms of marketing display or marketing yeah. like power. And then Batman Returns was even crazier. 
Yeah, and it's again, it's not to sound like some old old curmudgeon or something, but back then you didn't get superhero movies every three months like you do now. Like it was, it was amazing to see my favorite character on screen like that. It was such, it's so mind blowing. But what the thing was, I remember vividly that that movie came out and I enjoyed it. But of course, back then you didn't get the VHS right away. You had to wait for it to come out. And in the meantime, I think Nick at night started showing old episodes of the 66 TV show with Adam West. So I watched that. Um, somehow I had a copy of this movie taped off TV and I watched it over and over and over again. And to me, even as a kid, they were both equally great as Batman. Like I didn't think it was, this was a dumber, funnier version of the character to me. It was like, that's Batman. And so is the movie in the theater. So is, um, no, the Tim Burton version. They were equally Batman to me. And I think that's why I still like the characters that you can do so many different things with it. And the character will always adapt to whatever medium you put him in and whatever story you put him in. That exposure made me a fan of this film, made me a fan of Adam West. And to this day, it's probably the Batman. This is probably the Batman movie I've rewatched the most. And it's so fun to go back and revisit it every time. It's it's fantastic. And it's the movie, the Batman movie I've seen the most as a child. Yeah. But the least as an adult. And going back <laughs> to it was just a, a joy. And uh, we'll get more into that in, in a bit. Yeah, I, I feel like kind of the same. I didn't have, I didn't see the Batman, uh, the Tim Burton Batman in the theater. My next door neighbor, Hunter, when I lived in Flint as a as a wee lad, was older. He was like my sister's friend, and you know he we would go over and play at his house and hang out over there. And he's like, I got I got Batman, <laughs> and we were like, I got the. He's like, I, I got Batman on VHS, and I was like, oh my gosh, nice. I, I was not I was not allowed to see it in theaters, like. It was, you know, PG thirteen. I was yeah. not allowed to see it at that point. I was, and that's that's where my Batmania started as well. Is is just that movie's lodged in my head. But this one is too. Um, yeah. As I found out rewatching it this time, all the major beats are there that I remember from a kid, like the piles of dust, the uh, the pen, the penguin submarine, the porpoise that sacrifices itself. All that stuff really, really was like it's just as fresh as the first day I watched it. But like all the Batman figures I had were like so sacred to me. You know, yeah. I'm a huge Star Wars freak, and th- the Batman figures I had were more sacred to me than <laughs> my Star Wars figures. Or it, it was the, here's the hierarchy. Number one, most sacred was <laughs> Ninja Turtles, S tier, God tier, number one spot. Yeah. Then Batman toys, then my Star Wars toys. <laughs> wow. And I had, you know, I had like all the weird ones that changed colors in the bath and like the ones that <laughs> s- s- would swim or the ones that had giant like mech arms that shot discs out. Yeah. And like my favorite one, my favorite one was the, um, Batman, the animated series, um, like McDonald's toy. Oh, okay. For some reason, the most versatile and like just the coolest (laughs) and most streamlined Batman figure. I loved it. I'd play with it all the time. Do the math on that and when that would have come out. (laughs) And it's probably very telling of who I am as a person. But uh, yeah, Batman is just such an enduring and and like I said, I was saying a rebootable character. And I think you hit on it. It's just uh, there's a Batman for all ages. And it's just this human relatable story like the cliche thing about batman is that people love batman because he has no superpowers and he has right. a tragic story that he's a character based on, around grief and it's so he's a very human character you can relate to you can aspire to i really hate the batman billionaire meme discussion around him where yeah. he's like I, yeah. I, just, I just think it's like a complete misinterpretation of the character i know it's a joke but we're two cranky old men talking about batman so that's okay <laughs> yeah. um yeah what are your thoughts on his his enduring nature it's interesting because i think you know i've i've said this to a few other people and i've this is my take on batman and i feel like it's it's unique to me 
And I, I, so I don't know how universal this is, but to me, growing up being a fan of the character and particular versions of the character, I think Batman is a very optimistic character. And to me, the idea that uh, an eight-year-old kid, Bruce Wayne, suffers an unspeakable tragedy and uses that as a force for good to eliminate crime, which is in a goal he can never achieve, but he never gives up doing it. There's so almost like a myth of Sisyphus kind of quality to Batman. I think of the character being the sort of fever dream of an eight-year-old kid who never got to grow up because he committed, he dedicated his life to this unachievable goal. And I think there's something very positive and optimistic about that, despite the fact that most interpretations of the character are based on vengeance and grief. Right. I think there's, I think there's two, there, you know, not to get too uh, on the nose with the, his villain Two-Face, but there's two sides to that coin. It's like, you can have the grim and gritty uh, vengeful Batman, and you can have the optimistic one, and the character works in both settings. You know, I, I think it, depending on your taste as a reader or a consumer of the media, either one, either interpretation is valid, and I like them both. Absolutely, and I, I completely agree with that. I think the best interpretations or the most successful I shouldn't say the best, but yeah. the most successful interpretations of Batman to me have been the ones that have combined that kind of hopeful everyman quality with that vengeful side. That being said, I wonder <laughs> about about the Batman. We're doing this series as a lead up, obviously, to Matt Reeves, sure. the Batman starring Robert Pattinson. And I'm extremely excited for this movie. I think it looks incredible. The score, Michael Giacchino just released a bit of the score, which is <laughs> I thought was just gorgeous. And it's all all signs are pointing to this being a great interpretation of Batman. How where are you at hype level wise for the Batman? I, I'm getting it's getting uh, it's getting warmer in here um, for my hype. Uh, initially, <laughs> I was kind of just some part of me just thinks, have we done enough Batman movies already? You know, I I read Batman comics every week, and I'm like, there's plenty of Batman stories for me to read. I don't know if I need another movie that might be disappointing, but everything I see about this film, it gets me more hyped. I like the idea of Bruce Wayne being a goth weirdo. Mm -hmm. And, totally. I, I, you know, I like the idea of a sort of a 70s cop film with Batman in it. Um, one of my favorite Batman-related comic book series of all time is Gotham Central, which is basically like a cop drama mm -hmm. that Batman happens to show up in every now and again. So I think you can do that with the character. And, uh, yeah, I, I want to see a weird I want to see a weird Batman on the screen again. And I think the more I see of this movie, the more closer we're getting to that interpretation. Paul, that's one thing that you, you and I have agreed about with Batman through the ages is uh, keep Batman weird. And the first movie to keep Batman weird is the Adam West, Burt Ward, 1966 Batman, the movie. Paul, you ready to head into the Batcave? I'm ready. Uh, we're going to the Batcave to access the Batcomputer for a brief rundown on the history of Batman, the movie. Let's go. <laughs> Top, Paul, two important mm -hmm. questions about this specific movie. Mm -hmm. uh, is this the best Batman movie? Yes, unequivocally, yes. <laughs> it is. Yes. It's yeah. like, sorry to ruin the whole series, but uh, <laughs> like this this might be the best Batman movie. It's not going to get better than this, in my opinion. There's no way. <laughs> I was watching it, and it's just like this, everything that I've said and been cranky about about Batman, not cranky, I've liked, <laughs> right. I've liked the, the majority of the Batman movies. Everything that I've been clamoring for in a Batman movie, I think... I'm positive is because I saw this movie as a kid and it's just yeah. now bubbling up seeing it again. I was watching it like this is why I want like the madcap wacky aspects of Batman back mixed with like a serious story. I, this is why I want like 
fighting a you know 13 story carnivorous plant with poison ivy but like <laughs> still with um without the trappings of like a Joel Schumacher this is the reason like i is this movie just has it all it's got kind of the the detective aspects though not nearly <laughs> what you exactly what you want it's got no. it's got the action scenes it's got yeah. uh, an amazing rogues gallery it's got probably the best interpretations of the villains maybe it's it's wonderful it's great and again i mean i watched it so many times as a kid that it just kind of has been imprinted on my brain but when i sat down to rewatch it the other night i mean i was grinning ear to ear the entire time i had so much fun watching it you know what i mean and it's just something exactly. about the, pre- the presentation of it is it never winks at you it never winks it says isn't this silly i mean it is silly but it never it never breaks the fourth wall you know it's that wonderful th- razor thin line you have to walk when you're doing camp where it's like you're acknowledging the limitations of the of the genre and you're acknowledging the silliness of the premise without actually winking at the audience to let you know let them know that you're in on the joke right and it, it does it perfectly it's parody but done in complete earnest it's yes it's like yes. it's um you know it was originally conceived to be played as straight as like the lone ranger mm-hmm. um and adam west was like <laughs> I watched an interview with him and he's like, there's, there's more behind the mask than that. And it's like, <laughs> it's just funny to hear him talk so seriously about the character and then see yeah. his interpretation of the character. But he absolutely understood that there's a, a little bit of darkness to the, even this campy sixties version of the character. Yes. And there's um, a thinking man behind that mask. You wouldn't think that just based on what you remember about the boom, pow, thwap, yeah. like yeah. ridiculousness of it. But there's, there's a, a tinge of seriousness to it that really sells it. Uh, yeah, maybe we can dive into it when we talk about the cast. But the Adam West portrayal is, it really does read as a kid's idea of what an adult would talk like. And that makes Absolutely. the character work. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think that's Absolutely. totally what makes the character work. The second question I have for you, yeah. is, this a, uh, is this a Blue Lives Matter approved movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we do find out that uh, Batman and Robin have been deputized by the Gotham City Police Department. <laughs> And uh, they defer to the police department. They are not vigilantes. They they cringe at that word. Yeah. Um, so, but the Gotham City Police are pretty incompetent. So That's maybe true. not. I mean, Robin is very back to blue. Robin's very like, don't say a single word about our police force. That's I, true. I was just, I just thought the first like twenty minutes were great, and uh, really just <laughs> all about Robin being like, don't you talk about police that way. Support your police. That's our message. Well said, Robin. Batman, obviously created by uh, Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Batman, the movie, was originally conceived to generate interest for the new TV series that was going to be released. But Fox passed on it originally because they thought it was too risky. They would rather rather back a television series that had lower risk to it than to put yeah. money behind a movie that who knows who would uh, be into it. But after a screening of the 1943 15-part Batman serial, <laughs> everyone started going crazy and having bat fever again. And um, I'm not really sure that it proves that it was a different time because I tried to watch that on YouTube (laughs) and it's like the worst thing you've ever seen. Yeah. It's not even interesting as like a a curio or like a relic of the past. It's just kind of like Batman's barely in it. Um, (laughs) But I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. That was the first true on-screen appearance of the character. But after that screening, the studio changed their tune completely and we're like, oh yeah, we'll do this because everyone was just going Batman crazy again. The movie premiered in Austin, Texas. Uh, the reason for this being, it was the Glastron Boat Company's payment for designing the bat, the bat, the bat boat for the movie, which is like so crazy. Like they just did him a favor, and we're like, just have the premiere here. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, I don't know what the budget for the bat boat was, but they got their money's worth. Every penny they spent oh, in that boat, 
they got their money's worth. That boat is in the movie so much, and I love it. The boat is like the main character of the movie. Um, <laughs> well, it looks cool. It looks awesome. It's a cool it's, looking boat. You know, everything, every vehicle in this movie looks amazing. The bat copter, maybe not so much, but yeah, yeah, a little underwhelming. Batman the series was actually the first series to tap into the pop art movement spearheaded by Andy Warhol. Uh, its looks and its sense of humor were a huge sensation in the 60s and drew some of the era's biggest names to the set to be the villain of the week. Um, but citing repetitive writing and falling ratings to third season introduced Batgirl, played by Yvonne Craig, who is actually TV's first female superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people think it was Wonder Woman, but it was actually Batgirl in the third season of the Batman series. Uh, canceled on March, March 4th. Canceled on March 14th, 1968, NBC planned to pick up the series to continue it. But at that point, they found that ABC had already destroyed hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars in sets. And we're like, nah, we're, we're good. I just picture ABC just office space style smashing sets in the back of the studio lot <laughs> sure. after it's canceled. Yeah. <laughs> but the film and series continuity continues in mm-hmm. Batman 66, a DC comic created by Jeff Parker and Tom Payer in 2013. Have you read that? Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's very fun. It's very good. It does a great job capturing the tone of the, the show. Um, it actually is probably better than the last season of the TV show. The TV show jumps the, I mean, not to forecast the, the plot of the film, it jumps the shark pretty early. It becomes self-aware and a little jokey too early. You know what I mean? The, that first season is pretty much perfect, but after that it gets a little too self-aware, which probably why it ended up getting canceled. Um, it's worth noting too, because we talked about the the Batmania in '89. That probably pales in comparison to the Mania in '66. I mean, that it was such a huge sensation. I mean, back then, and there was so much merchandising, so much stuff. It was a huge, huge pop culture movement. There's no way it could have sustained that popularity. That's probably another reason why I ended up getting canceled. And also, it's probably worth noting that at that point, the Batman comics had kind of moved beyond that type of interpretation of the character into a sure. more I don't want to say gritty or serious, but a more detective-based sleuth-type character mm-hmm. that wasn't as jokey as the TV show. So fans yep. of the comics sort of were aghast that people were laughing at their favorite character, you know, yeah, on, the, on TV. The golden so. age, the golden age was busted at that point where people were moving on by that by that time. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you mentioned that the '66 uh, comic series. There also were two animated films that came out in the past uh, recently, past maybe. 10 years. Uh, one was the uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders, which featured the voices of Adam West and Burt Ward. And then there was uh, Batman versus Two-Face, which is based on a script for the original TV series written that was written by Harlan Ellison that didn't get made, but featured the character Two-Face. They turned that into an animated film a couple years ago, which is also quite good. Is, uh, is King Tut featured in the comic book at all? <laughs> yes, I believe yes. King Tut does show up. So okay. yeah, one of my That's favorite all. characters from the show. That's all I care about is if King Tut has good representation. Yeah, Paul, why don't you why don't you uh, keep us going with some of the release date and the the information about the movie itself? Sure, sure. So this film came out on July thirtieth, nineteen sixty six. I think that came out uh, between the first and second season of the TV show. I believe it was uh, in since production it came out in the summer. Uh, directed by Leslie H. Martinson, is written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. Based, of course, on the characters created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Bill Finger doesn't get credit; only Bob Kane does. That's a discussion for another time. Um, <laughs> cinematography by Howard Schwartz and the music of course by Nelson Riddle and it's interesting Nelson Riddle did the music for the the film but everyone knows the iconic Batman theme song was written by Neil Hefty and uh, apparently his Batman theme that he wrote for the TV show and was featured in this film won him a Grammy and became a top 10 hit single for the 1960s instrument rock group the Marquettes again think of the idea of a, a, a musical 
TV theme song becoming a top 10 single, it tells you how popular this show was, right? Has that happened since like the 90s with like uh, the Rembrandts or uh, the Heights yeah. theme song? I don't know. Yeah. It's it's weird to think about that. But as, yeah, everyone knows that song. My boys know that song somehow. <laughs> it's permeated pop culture. And that's the thing about this show is that, um, oh, we'll get into it later. I don't want yeah. to deviate too far now. But um, of course, features this film features Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. What's interesting is that Adam West was cast when he was auditioning for a Nestle Quick commercial. He was in this commercial and he developed his slow delivery to delay the movement of the camera. So basically, the longer it took from deliver a line, the more the camera would stay on his <laughs> face because he's a genius, right? He's a master thespian. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, the costumes that Adam West had to wear were incredibly uncomfortable. And since Adam West was nearsighted and didn't wear glasses, he could barely see when he was on the set when he was filming this stuff. So he would use this to his advantage, though, and make his dramatic turns to the camera part of the character. If you watch his body movements, they're very unnatural. And I think... Uh, Adam West was able to kind of make that work with the character by making the character seem a little aloof and, you know, out of place at times. Burt Ward was, um, I watched this documentary called superheroes on PBS and Burt Ward said it was like a competition between the two of them for, for screen time. And Adam West just crushed him every time because he would just <laughs> step out in front and they're like, what yeah. are you doing, man? He's like, I had to do it. I like, he would unfurl his cape to block people to deliver lines and things like that too. <laughs> Uh, Adam West, a, a true American hero. <laughs> <laughs> One of the all-time weirdos. I got to say, Adam West is Absolutely. an all-time weirdo. And I, I mean that with complete love and respect. So hey, you mentioned Burt Ward, of course, plays Dick Grayson or Robin. And apparently more than a thousand actors were uh, seen for the role and auditioned. Burt Ward was cast from his very first audition and <laughs> had to go to the hospital four times during the first week of shooting due to misfired explosions. Uh, <laughs> film productions are very different back in the 60s. There was um, a, a brief bit with talking to Burt Ward about um, standing in front of an explosion and getting like blown off the top of a bus in a fight scene with a, <laughs> with the Joker. Um, and he's like, I have to go to the hospital. And they're like, you have to wait until the shot is over. We have all these extras and actors on screen, um, but you, we have to wait until the, <laughs> we get, so we get the shot and then we'll take you to the yeah. hospital. So a different okay. era. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so those are the main characters there. And then rounding out the cast of villains for this film, we have Lee Merriweather as the Catwoman. Uh, Ju Julie Newmar played Catwoman in the first season of the TV show and had to step away for the film uh, due to a back injury. So Lee Merriweather took over. And uh, it's worth noting that Eartha Kitt also portrayed Catwoman in the later season of the TV show. So you had three different actresses, all very different takes on the character. I think I prefer Eartha Kitt the most. But again, I, I've watched this movie so much, I do enjoy Lee Merriweather as Catwoman. Uh, Cesar Romero as the Joker. And it's so bizarre watching this as an adult and noticing, because I never noticed as a kid, that Cesar Romero refused to shave his mustache. So they put makeup, <laughs> the Joker makeup, just on top of his mustache to cover it up, which makes him look even more psychotic. It's so uh, the, frightening. The close-ups, when you notice it, when it, you really <laughs> hone in on the mustache, it's like, this guy is a madman for sure. Yeah. There's also like, what is it with DC movies and like mustache controversies? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's they just can't get away from these mustaches. Some days you can't <laughs> shave a mustache. <laughs> it's the Batman curse. Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. I believe uh, you might have to fact check this, listeners, but I believe 
Burgess Meredith was a uh, chain smoker and he would do a hacking cough, which ended up becoming the penguin's sort of wok, wok, wok sound that he does when he laughs. That's based on Burgess Meredith's cough from being a, a, a nonstop chain smoker. He's smoking those long, uh, in that long cigarette holder all the time. Exactly. It's, it's really, yeah. really sucking in that smoke. <laughs> uh, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. Um, I want to say it right here, right now. Frank Gorshin kind of makes the movie as he much rips. as I like Adam West. Frank Gorshin as the Riddler is fascinating. He's so good in this role. And I think that every actor who played the Joker since uh, since this has ripped off Frank Gorshin's Riddler. If you watch, right. you know, the other people doing the Joker, they're doing the Riddler from the show. They're not doing Cesar Romero's Joker. Mm-hmm. He's way yeah. more calculated and he's way more sinister and has just that menace behind his eyes, but he's still yeah. outrageous and uh, extremely animated. I feel yeah. like Jack Nicholson's Joker is very much attributed to uh, to Frank Gorshin's Riddler. At 100%. Yeah, there's amazing film moments in the film where Frank Gorshin just turns on a dime from being like goofy and laughing to being really sinister looking. It's kind of like, it's really amazing. He looks like a madman. 100% Show stealer. In this film. Yep, Show stealer, 100%. Um, Alan Napier as Alfred, the loyal butler to Bruce Wayne and Neil Hamilton as commissioner Gordon. I really like Alan Napier as Alfred again, from watching the show in this movie so much. And then on the other hand, Neil Hamilton as commissioner Gordon. I remember thinking he was kind of uh, underwhelming, but when I rewatch this movie, he's so good. He's even more straight laced than Adam West. Like the way he delivers the lines is so just like earnest. It's really fascinating his portrayal of, of Commissioner Gordon and it kind of like makes the relationship between Batman and the police department make a lot more sense. Yeah, he's he's trying just as hard to um, to say for the riddles. He's but he's more anxious and worried about this the situation than Batman yeah. and Robin are, but he, he defers to them. It's a role you don't really pay attention to as a kid because he doesn't yeah. have a, a purple mask on or, you know, <laughs> he's not driving a bat boat. But shout out to Neil Hamilton. You're remembered on this podcast, if not if nothing else. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so the budget for this film was $1.5 Again, it's a very different time in filmmaking in the 60s. Uh, it only made $3.9 at the box office. Um, I think that was mostly rentals. That speaks to the the luster that the show had lost at that time. It already kind of been waning from the public uh, from the public eye by the time the film hit the theaters. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave this uh, apparently a sixty five percent from the critics and a sixty four percent from the audience. They're both wrong, hundred across the board. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure what that means for a, a movie that's made in the sixties. Like what? Like right. I don't even understand what that could possibly mean at this point. You bring that up about the waning popularity, like the timing of it. Had Fox picked it up early, I think it probably would have. Uh, lit the fuse a little bit more, but yeah, um, I, I think it was just kind of too late, and um, it was a, a modest hit. But you know, one, one quote that I really, really liked from Adam West was <laughs> just speaking to the the Batmania of the '60s. Was he was quoted as saying, "In the '60s, there were the three Bs: Bond, the Beatles, and Batman." <laughs> and it's like that's kind of true. It's like those were the the biggest uh, three of the biggest crazes, and it's just yeah. it's really wild to think that this campy, wild show that turned into a movie was such a hit but it is interesting and again i think the film uh the film in a lot of ways to me it basically plays like a long episode of, of the tv show um it has basically the same look and feel as the tv show and it captures the tv show at a moment before it gets a little too self-aware it's if if, if you've never watched a tv show i think this is the perfect introduction to adam west as batman i think it really captures what makes me love that character and that interpretation so much there's a lot of moments that we'll get to in a moment about yeah. of uh, amazing comedic timing, deadpan comedic <laughs> timing, but also strangely like longing heartbreak. 
and like just (laughs) some like not dark but some strangely emotional moments like so if you haven't seen this movie if you need a refresher uh here's what happens in batman 66 uh after an amazing amazing credit sequence i love it the uh multicolored gels on the searchlights Mm -hmm. um chasing characters around corners uh, the film opens as Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson rush back to Wayne Manor after receiving a tip that Commodore Schmidlap is in danger aboard his yacht. Sure. After pulling the iconic instant costume change lever, I love it. Batman and Robin roar into action in the Batmobile, also an amazing looking Batmobile. Yeah. Launching a rescue mission using the Batcopter, the dynamic duo attempts to board the yacht when it suddenly vanishes. Batman dips into the water where the yacht used to be, only to be attacked by a shark, naturally, which is dispatched <laughs> using bat shark repellent Gracefully delivered by the boy Wonder. Also, the, with without any explanation at this point, the shark just explodes. <laughs> so at, almost instantly, you're like, yes, you're you're deep in the pit of Batman sixty six. There's no buildup; it drops you into the deep end. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> more movies, more movies could learn from the pacing of this movie. I feel like I, I totally agree. Um, after a press conference featuring a suspicious Russian journalist asking the pair of the dynamic duo to take off their masks. Batman and Robin ponder who could be responsible for this bizarre incident while learning that their greatest foes, the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and Catwoman have all escaped from prison. The two surmise that they must all be behind it with some extremely Batman 66 logic. For example, the shark pulling my leg must indicate that the Joker is involved. And after (laughs) which they scurry off back to the Batcave. Meanwhile, at the Gotham city wharf, the mysterious Russian journalist returns to the United underworld headquarters where one of their stooges reveals her as Catwoman. Dun, 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 dun. Meeting Joker, Penguin, and the Riddler inside, it's revealed that Commodore Spidlap is being held captive without his knowledge using a clever ruse. Um, I, <laughs> is it clever? <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty clever. Okay. They have, a, they have a, 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 one of their pirates outside pedaling a bike that's simulating a painting of the ocean rocking back and forth in front of a window. Mm-hmm. And sure. Commodore Schmidlap's kind of a, a dull, like nitwit British dude that thinks he's, <laughs> oh, is, is he just drunk all the time? Or is he's, he's like tea obsessed and he's, uh, he thinks he's yeah. aboard his yacht, but they have mm-hmm. a, it's a clever ruse, Paul. Okay. It's clever. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to, didn't mean to question that. <laughs> These are, I mean, these are calculating criminal minds you're dealing with. Of course, it's clever. Back at the Batcave, Batman and Robin use all the tools at their command to determine a small, illegal navigational buoy in the ocean could provide a clue. They rush to the ocean and board the Batboat, again designed by Glastron Boats out of Austin, Texas, to inspect their hunch only to discover the buoy is actually a remote projector. Unbeknownst to the heroes, Penguin's submarine dwells beneath the waters and torpedoes the dynamic duo while they're magnetized to the buoy. They use radio frequencies to detonate the torpedoes, but just before Batman and Robin are obliterated by a third torpedo, a porpoise gives its life to defend our heroes. It's, I can't believe I'm reading that out loud. It makes, <laughs> in the, I mean, it sounds so bizarre to read, to say that out loud, but that's, <laughs> when you're watching the movie, it makes total sense. Like, yeah, of course. That's, yeah. Paul, you just described the sensation of typing this out for the podcast. <laughs> I felt like I'd finally snapped after two years of being in my house. A porpoise swims in front of a torpedo after blah, 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 blah. It's like I, 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 uh, there's a couple parts later on where I was like, what is, what am I typing? What am I doing with my life right now? Well, I mean, you, you hinted at some sort of like oddly dark touching or like emotional beats. And that's one of them. They're very morose about this porpoise giving their life to save them. They like, yeah, there's, they, there's they no take a moment of silence or, yeah. No. And there's no, yeah. you know, he, you, he fulfilled his life's porpoise. It could have been a very easy yeah. thing to say there, but like it's, they, 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 uh, they like mourn the loss of the porpoise. 
Yeah, it's it's really strange. It's very touching and it's very earnest, which again, I think it works the movie's credit. Gosh, Batman. Nobility of the almost human porpoise. True, Robin. It was noble of that animal to hurl himself into the path of that final torpedo. He gave his life for ours. Back on shore, Batman calls the Pentagon, only to find that they'd sold a pre-atomic Soviet submarine to a mysterious buyer named P.N. Gwynn, the Penguin. Just then, a rocket fires from the submarine and explodes, displaying two riddles in the sky. Batman and Robin deduce once more that Catwoman is behind this as well. They really get their money's worth of the uh, of the rocket stock footage in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> Batboat and uh, Polaris rocket stock footage stock was way up at this point. Exactly, yeah. Back at United Underworld headquarters, the criminal syndicate reveals their ultimate goal, the UN Security Council, and hatch a plan to lure Bruce Wayne into a trap to ensnare the bat and kill him with an exploding octopus <laughs> using Catwoman's alter ego Kitka as the bait. And again, another example of like, I'm doing something very serious for a podcast I do. <laughs> right. Um, the, <laughs> the trap is sprung and the rogues gallery flies to kidnap him on their rocket-powered umbrellas. A fight ensues and Bruce is hauled off alongside Kitka to help sell the devious trick, and they head back to the villain's HQ. Bruce uses a radio transmitter device to free himself. I loved this part, and I love this line so much. Catwoman, in her Russian voice, says, like, that's a really weird thing to be carrying around with you. And uh, Bruce Wayne's line is, Not at all, Miss Kitka. Capitalists like myself who carry large sums of money often have such safety contrivances. Which is, like, <laughs> this show distilled into one line, I feel like. is this, yes. this, this whole, like, Batman phenomenon It's like, a little bit of parody, but delivered with just such such earnestness. It's wonderful. Bruce fights his way free, swimming back to safety. Arriving back at Wayne Manor, he and Robin rush back to United World Headquarters to take on their arch nemeses. Paul, I made sure that it lined up so you got you got this part. Oh, thank you so much. I know how much it means to you. <laughs> back at the villain's hideout, Penguin demonstrates his de- dehydration device on five of their henchmen, which they intend to use on the UN Security Council. Every one of them has a mother. They make that point. That the villains, like, be careful with these uh, henchmen. Remember, each one of them has a mother. Even the criminals aren't, like, bloodthirsty. They're, like, they still have some respect for human dignity in life. Just then, Batman and Robin arrive on the scene only to discover not only an empty hideout, but a bomb. Batman tries desperately and comically to find a safe place to detonate the device and discovers the lesson of the film. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. After doing so, uh, Batman and Robin are approached by the Penguin, unconvincingly disguised as Commodore Schmidtlap. Namek duo drug him to avoid him seeing the entrance to the Batcave and escort him back to their headquarters. What's your favorite uh, um, innocent, potential innocent victim of the bomb? Well, you know, there's the marching band, which are, who are kind of annoying. Um, (laughs) I mean, honestly, they, I don't know where they're marching. It's all over the place. Um, The nuns, obviously, you don't want to blow up the nuns, the baby ducks, but there are the two, when he has the bomb first, he gets all of the sort of uh, seedy, uh, people that hang out at the wharf out of that sort of like dive bar that they're in, except these two people that don't leave the table. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I can't just like, just leave it here and let these people blow up. Like, I think those are my favorite people. They actually make him run down the uh, the boardwalk to find another place to de- deposit the bomb. My favorite are the, um <laughs> like the couple on, on the romantic date on the rowboat. Oh, yeah. I, lo- sure. I love the ducks too. I think the ducks is so funny because there's a, a, a mother duck and like two ducklings and he's like, mm, not here. No, nope. um, no. Nope. But it's such an amazing, it's, it goes on for probably a minute and a half too long. 
not too long, but per- yeah. it's, it's perfectly timed. I'm just saying that's that's the best part of it. Is it like it goes on for about a minute and a half too long? It might. I think it's really the only part of the movie that they actually play as a joke. There are other things in the movie that are funny, but they don't actually like acknowledge them being funny. Like I said, they don't wink at it and say, "Isn't this great?" That is actually a comedically timed scene that plays off like a comedy scene as sort of comic relief. And I think maybe that's why it's so memorable. I was going to counter that and say the part where near the end where Batman uh, deposits Catwoman's kitten in a, Oh sure. In a, in a lifeboat. But even yeah. that is like Batman. Like I got to save the, it's not a joke. It's just him. Like I got to save the living creature. Like he's, you're absolutely right. And it's, but it, it works all the better for it. Cause it's just <laughs> kind of like a little, little breather to let you know that they do know that this is ridiculous too. So <laughs> yeah. Inside the bat cave, the penguin reveals himself and rehydrates his pirate henchman. A quick fight breaks out, but the pirates implode into antimatter at the slightest touch due to the use of the bat caves, heavy water in the process. Of course, yeah, like just when you don't think it could get any like crazier, the they go to fight each other, and the slightest bump, they just disappear into thin air. No effects or anything; they just nope. blip out of existence. And again, another little morose part from Batman and Robin, where <laughs> yeah. Bat, uh, Robin kind of says, really innocently, like, "You mean they don't exist anymore?" And Batman's like, "I'm afraid not, Robin." And it's yeah. it's it's it kind of tugs at you a little bit. And like the heavy water thing is like, okay, <laughs> I don't understand that, but whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, you need to get a water softener so that they don't <laughs> explode in the antimatter. Right. The, the Penguin steals the Batmobile while being transported to Gotham PD, and the dynamic duo chase him back to the villain's new headquarters in the Batcopter. The Riddler <laughs> blows the Batcopter out of the sky with a near miss from a, another Polaris missile, uh, but luckily the two <laughs> land in a pile of foam rubber outside of a foam rubber store. Some more clever deducing fr- from a new set of riddles leads them to the U.N., but it's too late. The Security Council has already been dehydrated and kidnapped by the time they arrive. They rush to Penguin Submarine aboard the Batboat. And the, the, <laughs> I guess we, we mentioned it already, but the vehicles, there's the Batboat, which looks incredible. It's one of the best Batmobiles, if not the best Batmobile. The Batcopter is so-so. The Batbike has a detachable go-kart to it. That's awesome. Is, is awesome. only used to go to the other side of the Batcopter, though. It doesn't get much better. <laughs> I love that part. I totally forgot about that until I watched, we watched it. Robin blasts the submarine out of commission with a sonic bazooka, forcing it to the surface. A fight ensues with Batman and Robin emerging victorious. Do you think at this point, when this fight breaks out with the the bam, boom, bop, <laughs> bip, kerplow, kersploosh, do you think this was a, a um, like Cap and Mjolnir or like Avengers Assembled type moment in the theater? When people are like, it's happening because it's 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 the one true like fight sequence in the movie. That's true. Yeah, but I don't know if that was I don't know if that was like what made the show. That's what people remember about the show is the the bam pow yeah. type stuff. But I don't know how central that is to the show or to the movie because I don't even miss it until I mean I didn't even didn't even think about it until it shows up. I'm like, oh yeah, they do this too during the fight yeah. scenes. You know what I mean? It's not it, that important. So it feels like they're hold. It feels like they hold out on it though. Sure, to, yeah. to give it to people like later on in the film. I was just wondering. I also think yeah. it's really funny that the Riddler just like throws himself off the submarine like he doesn't <laughs> yes. the fight the fight post everyone being knocked off the submarine is definitely like let's just get the shot wrapped up because it's all the <laughs> all the henchmen everyone gets knocked off the boat batman and robin get knocked off the boat catwoman's yeah. the only one still up there and they're like still they're swimming back to the submarine really slowly but batman and robin are still punching the, the henchmen in the head yeah yeah it's a little um, strange the fight choreography isn't what it is these days obviously um but i loved it <laughs> it's it's a little slapsticky, but yeah, it, it totally works. Um, after they emerge victorious, Batman is heartbroken to learn that the love of his life, Kitka, 
is actually Catwoman, and the real Commodore Schmidtlap accidentally breaks the vials containing the dehydrated UN Security Council. Back in the Batcave, Batman and Robin enlist the help of their supermolecular dust separator to stitch the constituent members of the Security Council back together, with a little bit of moral support from the president, Lyndon B. Johnson, who we see from behind. I mean, they obviously didn't want to show his face in the film, so... And it's comically just saying, like, you can do it, y'all. Like, come on, <laughs> yeah. y'all, you can do it. It's just the most, like, caricature version of a, of a Texan president ever. Mm-hmm. This was the part I was referencing earlier where once Batman realizes that – where Batman realizes that it's Catwoman, who she just yeah. kind of falls when she gets down in the submarine, he stops and, like, zone, he, like zones out completely. And Robin's yes. like, I'm sorry, Batman. Like, it's all part of it. And he's like, you can't say it or it'll compromise us like it's kind of the the core dynamic of batman it's kind of the core like moral conundrum of being batman in like mm-hmm. one second that could be a joke but it's played very seriously again but yeah. you know batman notoriously can never find true love because it would compromise his his secret identity but at, at least you know in in certain iterations obviously there's yeah, versions obviously. of him that that fall in love but it's just i i love it i thought i was like this is the, the wackiness of it kind of provided this really somber, slightly romantic Batman moment. I don't know. Yeah. And I think maybe we can talk about more a little bit later once we wrap up the, the summary here. But something I always kind of forget about this stuff until I go back and rewatch it is the way Adam West plays Bruce Wayne as well. He's, it's not it's slightly different from his Batman, but not radically different. But there's a nuance to his per- portrayal of Bruce Wayne that I find really interesting, especially in this film. Do you think it's in his eyes? I think it's in his eyes. And I think there's a way that he carries himself. Bruce Wayne seems like a weirdo just as much as his Batman, but in a different way, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? He seems aloof, uh, not part of traditional society, you know, and I think part of that is just the fact that in this version of the character, Bruce Wayne is still just an eight-year-old boy pretending to be an adult. And I think Adam West kind of captures that in his performance, whether intended or not. That's the way I always read it. Because Adam West is basically an eight-year-old boy in a man's body. <laughs> sure. um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robin, wanting to play God and rebuild the Security Council in a way that will bring about world peace, is warned by Batman against tampering with Mother Nature. Um, it happens twice in this movie where Batman warns against meddling with Mother Nature. And uh, he's very respectful of like the order of things. Yes, that's really interesting. There is the, an interesting idea behind this interpretation of Batman wanting to keep things in their place. There's a very clear distinction between right and wrong. There's an order to the world, which maybe speaks to the idea that since Bruce Wayne's parents were taken from him in a random act of violence, he wants to control the chaos of the world by being this sort of like this do-gooder crime fighter character. And he's, everything he does is designed around keeping that type of order. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, we could talk about this more in a little bit too, but he's like things that are morally gray that we discover later on in life yeah. are are very black or white to him, especially <laughs> like alcoholism. There's a lot of uh, talk in this movie about people that are drinkers. And there's a point where Batman says to like, he may love the drink, but he's still human inside. Like he's still, right. he still sees the inherent good in people, which is just, it, it was fascinating to me because Batman is is turned so much into this like morally gray character but with the world watching the security council is successfully rehydrated and immediately begins fighting amongst itself but there's a catch batman accidentally swapped their nationalities in hopes that his mixing of the minds would do the world some good the dynamic duo inconspicuously repels out the window saving the world once again from complete chaos (laughs) the movie fades out the end the living end 
question mm-hmm. mark um but this this is the end of the movie is batman and robin climbing down the walls of the, the united nations so. <laughs> yeah exactly yes yes in gotham city right i laugh out of love i don't think it's like so no. tongue-in-cheek that it's like ridiculous i i genuinely uh think this movie has such a warm center and such an amazing heart to it that i'm i'm gonna show it to my boys i think they'll they'll yeah. i think they'll love it and it's just a really interesting first iteration of Batman and, and, and Robin too on screen. We can talk about Robin a little bit too, but yeah. Um, thoughts on Batman, the movie. <laughs> I mean, where to start? Um, I think we've hinted at a lot of the, my ideas for the character. And I think what, what I keep saying is that it works for me because there is this sort of inherent goodness to the character. He's not morally conflicted. And I like that version of the character. Again, I like, pretty much every version of the character to some degree, but I find it this take very uh, refreshing after, you know, 30, 40 years of grim and gritty Batman. It is like Mm -hmm. very nice to have a sort of wholesome take on the character who stands up and does the right thing. And I do like that both the TV show and the film don't really get into what compels Batman other than he wants to do the right thing. I think that in the first episode of the TV show, he mentioned Bruce Wayne mentions that his parents were killed. And then like that's, it's never brought up again. Like that's not what, what motivates the character. What motivates the character is again, is keeping order and protecting those who can't protect themselves, looking out for the little, little person. You know, it, it's a very sort of altruistic take on the character that isn't selfishly motivated. And that's what I really like. Couple that with the presentation again. Like I think the walk that fine line of being able to say, yes, this is ridiculous. I laughed a lot watching this movie, but I never felt like the filmmakers were winking at me or saying, aren't, isn't this hilarious? There's such an earnestness and a straightness to the delivery that makes it even more enjoyable, I think, than if it was played as a straight comedy. And there's that psychedelic 60s aspect to it as well, where yeah. it, I think I think that this movie or the series in general or this the movie in the Adam West Batman is responsible for a lot of like my aesthetic choices and like my 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 tastes because it just looks so damn cool with the, the like those bright like primary colors and yeah. just how vivid everything is and nothing's um, nothing's nuanced about any of the characters. They're like the, no. the, the villains themselves who I want to talk more about in a second. They're costumed the way, you know, I love all the different spins and interpretations on the characters over the years, especially like in the uh, Arkham games, like the Batman yeah. Arkham games. I think they look especially cool there, but just seeing the classic golden era Batman villains in those costumes is like, I just prefer that. I don't know. You can't <laughs> you can't sell that in a modern context as um, something that works. I I don't know. I I do think, as far as I remember, I do think that Jim Carrey might have pulled it off as the Riddler. I don't I don't I don't remember. We'll, we'll have to yeah. see when we get there. The the aspects of the costuming all around, even even this bat suit and yeah. um, the Robin bat the Robin suit, not the Robin bat suit, but mm-hmm. they're they're just you can't beat them. It's just so iconic and just so instantly evokes such warm feelings towards the character. Yeah. Well, there's a thing, you know, it, it always bugs me <laughs> and I don't want to get too far uh, afield with this, but it always bugs me when I'm watching a superhero, a contemporary superhero film or TV show. And they'll always like one scene where the character will be dressed up in a sort of like comics accurate version of the, of the costume and it's played as a laugh you know they did that in the captain america film the first one they mm-hmm. did it on the wandavision tv show and it's like that's it's they play it as an easy laugh line but it's like i don't know i just i always thought that was weird like why not just make why do you have to put down the simple comic book version of the costume i know it is like looking back and laughing and saying like 
wasn't at a different time. I get that, sure. but, but man, there's just something so endearing and cool about the the the, the tight gray and gray and yellow and blue suit and the bright yeah. red and green and like the the Riddler suit and Cesar Romero's like Joker's <laughs> so so vibrant and colorful. Catwoman's costume is obviously iconic. I was yeah. watching something with Julie Newmar, and she was talking about how she dropped the gold belt to the hips to accentuate the hips. And so everyone would just went like Gaga over Catwoman in the sixties. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it really is like a unique, it, it's tied to a specific time, obviously aesthetically these like pop art and fashion at that time, but there is a timelessness to it. I don't, I think it still looks cool today. Maybe again, maybe that is nostalgia on our part, but I, I, I still think these costumes look cool, you know, especially got to mention Frank Gorshin again, he has the skin tight Riddler outfit, but he also has the cool like three piece suit with the top hat or the totally. bowler hat, and they both look cool. He kind of switches between them both. I don't want to go too far into the production design, but like yeah. just the ridiculous. Like, he's got a shelf of books in their headquarters that says riddles question mark, and it's like just some books. Um, I do want to know? talk about that. I do want to talk about that because people like kind of make fun of all of the sort of uh, branding that Batman does and the villains do, where everything's got a label, but. That's like world building. When you're in the headquarters, every villain has their own bookshelf with their their sort of like interests, right? You know, right. it's like Riddler's got a bookshelf full of books. Uh, Joker's got like, you know, gags and like hand buzzers, all the sort of jokey stuff there. Catwoman's got cats on her shelf. And what always bugged me when I remembered I rewatched it now, there are scenes in the headquarters where there's a giant um, like file cabinet in the corner and it says metallic confetti. And you never, they never use it. Like, why would you put that there? If you're, it's it's Chekhov's gun that never goes off. The giant Chekhov's metallic confetti. Yeah. yeah. Like I was waiting for it to come. I'm like, I don't remember any confetti in the film. And sure enough, there's none. What if in the new Batman, the Matt Reeves Batman, there's a moment where at the, like in the post credit scene, there's a, there's a filing cabinet that says metallic confetti. <laughs> And he gets closer and closer and it goes off. Will you lose your mind in the theater? Yeah, it was, I, will, I would <laughs> declare that the best Batman film if that happens. So <laughs> it, it finally happened for me. <laughs> of course, love that in the Batcave as well. They have the bat rope and the bat sonic bazooka and the in the, the the bat super molecular dust separator. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like in the in the in the Batmobile, they have like emergency left turn lever and things like that. And again, it's just like. It seems like a prepared Batman. It's a, obviously like played as like a kitschy, like sort of half joke. But it's also like, yeah. if you think about it, Batman is the most prepared and world weary and ready superhero. So it's like, I don't know. I, yeah. Him labeling everything, you know, doesn't make the most sense. But it's also like, who cares? It's great. It's really fun. It's really fun. It's just as fun as like hearing whatever like quip Robin's got next. Uh, yeah. Uh, Holy Heart Failure is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to relate to, relate to that one. I, well, I think what's interesting is you know the the film and the first season of the TV show really do they have an internal logic. You know what I mean? The show, yeah. When the show loses its its through line, when it loses steam uh, on TV, is like when it becomes self aware and starts acknowledging that stuff. But within the context of this film in particular, I think it is everything makes sense. Like, why would Batman have back shark? Re- shark repellent because he might run into a shark he's always prepared and as long as you take that at face value like nothing seems strange or too too winky like fourth wall breaking like it all sort of makes sense but it's also just as strange as it wants to be you know what i mean it's like it's right. kind of this weird it walks this kind of like parallel path in tight not just the bats 
shark spray, but it's an entire rack of um, <laughs> of, of ocean uh, repellent spray. There's a manta ray, whale, barracuda, and shark. And it's like, he's... <laughs> He's, he's either the most prepared or the most anxious person on the planet. Um, he's <laughs> he's I, ready for everything. I think you know. I should. I, could I give you my my headcanon interpretation of of this take on Batman? Because I have a pet theory that I like to trot out every now and again. Talking about oh, this stuff. I mean, this is the place to do it, Paul. Sure, let it rip. My every time I go back to watch this stuff, I I sort of try to elaborate on this headcanon theory I have about this take on Batman and how to make it fit with the other takes on Batman. Again, I spoke to the idea of Bruce Wayne being a stunted kid, an eight-year-old boy whose life was taken from him, more more or less. Everything that was important to him was taken from him. And the way he coped with it was creating this power fantasy where he can defeat crime. Now, in this version of Batman that we get in the TV show and in this film, uh, Martha and Thomas Wayne were so beloved as part of the community that the entire community of Gotham mourned their loss and took it upon themselves to shelter and protect young Bruce. So everything about the show is actually designed to let Bruce Wayne live out this fantasy and everyone's in on the the joke, so to speak. So I love it. Paul, I love know, it. Alfred is there to like encourage him and say, Hey, what do you need? Like, we'll do this. And then all of the police department, they're like, Yeah, you can be a deputy, sure. They're letting this eight-year-old boy <laughs> live out this fantasy, you know, and then all of the villains are over the top because they're like local theater performers and all the sets look kind of flimsy because they're built for, you know, stage plays. They're built for the local theater. And it's this entire city has built its itself around protecting the, 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 you know, the soul of this young boy who, whose, whose parents were taken from at a young age. And that's that if, if you look at it that way, I think it, it really is sort of heartwarming in a charming way of looking at the character. It's it's heartwarming, but also kind of dark in a way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. They're 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 enabling a a, a child that can't get past his. Um, but it, it, I also I'm like uh, kind of reeling from that. That's um, I think forever changed my per- perception <laughs> of the '66 Batman. It's that's that I love thinking about that because it it is true. He's even that plays into like the way that they solve the riddles and things like that. Like yeah. He defers to his uh, to to Robin, and he he knows the answers right away. And Batman's like exactly, and it's like this ongoing yep. back and forth between them. I really love that. I think that that's um, entirely possible. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I do have to acknowledge there is you know th- that's based on some interviews that I've I heard from Grant Morrison, who's my favorite comic book writer. And uh, Grant Morrison's run on Batman is one of my favorite interpretations of the character. Uh, they wrote Batman. Too for about seven years and it's absolutely incredible and uh morrison borrows a lot from this aesthetic and he uh, they don't go as far as to give that theory i just did but there are examples in graham morrison's comics where the relationship between alfred and batman or bruce is alfred letting bruce run wild in his imagination you know what i mean it's a fatherly type of thing where it's the improv Alfred saying yes. And to Bruce right. is like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to get a bat copter. I'm going to do this. And Alfred's like, okay, sure, sure. He's enabling this, this uh, mania more or less because he knows it's helping him cope with the loss that kind of led to this interpretation I have of this show. Um, I do love that aspect of the, of the Morrison Batman runs as well, because so many mm-hmm. other Alfreds are the, uh, the, the angel on the shoulder or the, yeah. Or the devil's, I guess the devil's advocate of saying like, are you, sh- you sure you want to, do- we shouldn't do this because it's going to break you. And it's like, I th- I, th- I do think the more interesting <laughs> Alfred is that like, you got to do that, right? Like you got to go do it. Um, right. 
I mean, is there anything else that you want to mention about Batman 66? I think, I think we did it justice. I, I hope so. I hope so. I hope if people that maybe wrote the film off or uh, maybe haven't seen it, will take a time to maybe reconsider it. Again, I think it is all in delivery. And I, I do think part of it is nostalgia and my familiar, familiarity with it. But I find this type of presentation and humor a lot more engaging than a lot of more contemporary superhero films. I, I sure. think, you know, I don't want to badmouth any of them because I know people love those films, but there are certain attempts to make more sort of humorous superhero films that there is a lot of winking at the audience and saying, you know, a lot of everyone's in on the joke and acknowledging how silly the situations are. This film doesn't do that. And I think it's better because of that. And I also think it's worth noting that this came out right after, like you said, the explosion in popularity of James Bond films. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Adam West's portrayal of Bruce Wayne on the date with with Kitka, it's like a kid pretending to be James Bond. Like I, it's so on the surface there. Like that's what 100%. he's doing. This, this suave um, guy, but instead of a martini, he's drinking a giant glass of milk at dinner, which always cracks me <laughs> up. <so. laughs> and it just keeps it just keeps playing right into your theory, Paul. I was gonna say I think there's there's a lot as as much. It's a weird, again, fine line that the film and the show walk where there's a lot of layers and there's a lot of things uh, to notice, a lot of details that you can pick up on that make it very fun and enjoyable, but everything's played right at the surface. You know, it's it's all right there. There's no, <laughs> there's really no deeper meaning or interpretation. It's all right there. And I think it makes it really fun to go back and rewatch. For movies that I, I enjoy quite a bit and um, see opening weekend as much as I can, we yeah. really do a lot of do a lot of like uh, MCU bashing on the show on accident, and I don't <laughs> we don't I don't really mean to. No. I just I think about this movie in context of like a Marvel movie that is so in on the joke that it makes the joke before you do, so you can right. so it can, it can kind of absolve itself of any ridiculousness, and it's like maybe we could just like lean into that a little bit more, guys, and don't mm-hmm. be so like on the surface meta about your humor. I right. mean, there, there's there's exemptions to that for sure, but this movie on top of playing things so earnestly really evokes like a, a warm feeling of, like you said, that optimism that I think is necessary right now, where there's so many dark gritty takes on characters that watching this with all of its vibrant colors and vibrant performances and just kind of like unrestricted mania of its villains and rogues gallery yeah. is, is really comforting and really um, worth checking out again. I agree. If you've, if you've written it off as, as too campy or too silly for you, Give it another shot because it's 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 a warm bath. Yeah, and and it's again, it's, I think it's worth noting that this was so popular at the time, and it's a double edged sword where this became what people thought about when they think about Batman. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. when Tim Burton makes Batman, he doesn't go too far from the this type of stuff, at least in terms of the story. But aesthetically, he goes a very different direction, and it kind of makes the character people think about the character differently. I don't think that there is one true version of Batman. I think that, again, that's why the character has been around for over 80 years is that you can do different interpretations. And every every time someone does a Batman story, they kind of have to acknowledge this take on it. You know, whether right. it's just to dismiss it out of hand or to kind of lean into it and kind of say, isn't this fun too? You know what I mean? Like we like or- we said, every version of Batman's rogues gallery is going to have a nod, whether it's intentional or not, to Frank Gorshin, because he steals the show in this film. And you cannot right. get away from that. It's so it's baked into the character in the pop culture uh, consciousness. And even folding some of that, that ridiculousness into those grittier takes to make the Joker more menacing because they're, they're, 
they're borrowing concepts of the campiness of it, but spinning it and making it really horrific. I also have a question is uh, what I think about when I think about Batman, is that a Murakami novel? <laughs> I mean, it, it could be, right? One of the worst jokes I've ever made, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're, keep, we're keeping it in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way you said it, it reminded me of uh, what I talk about when I talk about running. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, my head, that's a little too heady for me. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're a really heady podcast. You know, we, a really literary, uh, well-read podcast. So. Sure. Well, old chum, do you think we've... Uh, <laughs> Do you think we've uh, tackled the Batman movie as best we can at this point? I, you know, I think so. Again, this movie means a lot to me personally, and I, I, I sometimes wonder if my fan, fondness for it and defense of it is related to that, but that's fine. You know, it, it means a lot to me, and I, I hope maybe our discussion about it, again, will encourage other people to maybe check it out and give it a second chance. It's all I can hope for. So with that in mind, Paul, are you ready to face the trials? Oof, I, I, I was born ready. I was born <laughs> in the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> trials commence all right in this version of the trials we're playing a game called off the bat i'm going to ask paul a series of best and worst in the batman on screen universe he's going to give me his uh his rapid fire take Eh, rapid fire is a loose uh term here but you know take your time but check your gut do your best (laughs) drink a glass of milk have some fun first up Mm -hmm. best bruce wayne adam west adam west absolutely worst bruce wayne um, um, Christian Bale. I never bought his Bruce Wayne. The the message boards are lighting up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Incendiary take on. Sure. I, I but I I tend to agree, and we'll okay. again talk talk about that more when we get to the <laughs> Nolan trilogy. Um, yeah. but I I tend to agree. Best Batman. Um, again, I my gut says Adam West, but I'm actually going to say Kevin Conroy from the animated series because. There you go. When I read Batman comics, that's the voice I hear in my head. Like he was always going to be that character. You know, that's what the Batman sounds like. So it, it's yeah. so iconic. His voice is so iconic in there that it ruins. It's like impossible to do a good Batman voice. And they used it for the video games because they're like, who else are we going to get to do this? Um, worst Batman. Um, George Clooney of no fault of his own. Um, that he didn't have much to do in that film. Best bat suit. I'm going to say Adam West. I, that's so iconic to me. And it's yeah, that's what Batman looks like. Worst bat suit. <laughs> um, I, I'll say the the one from Batman Begins. That just looks very awkward. I never liked the way that the cowl and the cape came together on that one. Interesting. I'm I'm glad you didn't just take the easy route and say um, the Batman Forever one because it's not that bad. Eh, it's not that bad. Bat nipples are like whatever. <laughs> There's uh, so many other problems. Again, there, I yeah. we'll save it for. I don't want to talk about it now. I'll just say. There's more problem, bigger problems that film than the, the nipples. So, which you can't say about many movies. So, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> best Batmobile. Um, it's this one. It's the one from the '66 show. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it, it, it looks so fucking cool. Worst Batmobile. Uh, it's the one from I think Batman Forever. I don't. That one just looked very strange to me. The weird glowing insides of it. That's weird. the single the single fin on the back. Yeah, not a fan. Currently, I think my least favorite is the Bat Tumbler. Oh, okay. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not crazy about that one either, honestly. I think the new one looks fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, dude. Give me a hot rod Batmobile any day of the week. <laughs> like, I fucking love it. It's yeah. awesome. That's what I love. I mean, Matt Reeves, 
I was like, cool. Robert Pattinson. I was like, let's do it. As soon as they yeah. showed that like ch- charger style, like Batmobile, I was like, this yep. is going to be the fucking best. I cannot wait. We'll see. The bat tumbler might change, but we'll see. Okay. Um, <laughs> best, best Gotham. Um, if from uh, Tim Burton's Batman, that one from 89, that's the coolest sure. that city's ever looked. Yeah. By proxy. Would that mean that the animated series is also that, or do you think those are the same? They're related. Oh, yeah. I, I think okay. f- for sure the aesthetic is almost the same there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, best Gotham is uh, is Tim Burton. Okay. Worst Gotham. Ooh. Um. I'm gonna say Dark Knight Rises. I just never get a good <laughs> sense of place with that film. It doesn't feels like it take. It doesn't feel like a real city in that film. There's a lot of problems with that movie. Trust me. But <laughs> I, I never felt like I was in the actual Gotham City in that one. Strangely enough, most of the problems with that movie also have to do with nipples. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah. Not enough. I like that Gotham. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's cool I, that we yeah. get to see the sense of place thing is a good point. It is yeah. bizarre with all it, it should have a better sense of place considering how much of it has to do with taking over Gotham. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I think I don't know if this counts because it. I think currently my favorite Gotham is uh, Batman Arkham Knight, the video game. It's really fucking okay. cool, but we'll see how that evolves. Best on-screen Bat villain: uh, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. I, totally. I've already sung okay. his praises on this episode. He's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I wanted to say best Joker, but I just felt like it was too no. easy to say like best yeah. Joker, Jack Nicholson. Worst Joker, Jared Leto. <laughs> it just felt too. Well, uh, sure, it's obvious. But, yeah. but worst on-screen Bat villain. <laughs> I'm, you know, I have not seen it since it was in the theater, so maybe my memory's wrong. But I remember not liking Jim Carrey as the Riddler. I just think that for the nuance, and it seems weird to say there's anything nuanced about this 66 film, but the, the the range that Gorshin has is like not there in Jim Carrey's Riddler. It's like sure. it's a one note take on the character. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it's a little too Cesar Romero. Not enough, yeah. not enough menace. But it's also, again, I haven't seen Batman forever in forever. So it, <laughs> sure. it could change. And it's, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Best Batman movie. The one we're discussing on this very episode, mm-hmm. Batman 66, starring Adam West and Burt Ward. Wow. It's, we, uh, we, we declared it at the top of the podcast. <laughs> and it's, it's sticking through to the end. We're, yep. cons- we're being consistent. Uh, and then worst Batman movie. Uh, so this is tough. Um, are we counting Batman versus Superman as a Batman film? Yeah, totally. Okay. Because that's – and again, it's, Batman's not the problem with that film. So it, I feel weird saying that because I, I don't – dislike the interpret i don't dislike ben affleck as batman i don't dislike his a- appearance in the film but it's a it's the worst movie to have batman in it probably so that's a good by default good... is that the worst batman film then my other answer would be batman forever but again i have not seen that since it came out so yeah right now i'm inclined to agree with batman versus superman or <laughs> zack snyder's justice league doesn't count i don't think but i, I no. would i think beyond that probably the worst to me is i don't know you know what i can't say I don't. I don't know at this point. I, it's not. It's not fair to assess it at that point. But I think. Yeah. I think. I think probably off the top of my head, I would say Batman and Robin. I know it's the cliche answer that it's the worst one, but I don't yeah. think it's. I, there's redeemable qualities to it that we'll talk about when we get to it. But Absolutely. It's. Yeah. It's the one that makes me kind of recoil the most and has the least going for it. I think. But I think uh, that could also change. So that's why I want to reassess at the end. But right now. I don't even know if I believe that though. <laughs> I, I have I, so much yeah. fun with it. I have such a blast with uh, Mr. Freeze. And I think Uma Thurman is fucking crushing that movie. Uh, yes. There's a lot that works in that movie. There's a lot that doesn't, but the stuff that works is great in that movie. My, my next thought is Batman begins. Sure. Cause I don't love it. 
because it, it starts off super interesting and kind of like literally falls off the tracks at the end and it's like yeah i don't know but i i'm not sure i will i will revisit at the end okay. um i know you're all waiting with bated breath to, to, to know <laughs> my know. answers yeah. but uh yeah and, and i don't viscerally dislike any of these stuff when i say worst like it's not like i'm saying i'm repulsed by you know uh christian bale's Bruce Wayne is my least favorite one. That's the way to put right. it. You know what I mean? So like, I I actually really, really liked Ben Affleck as, as Bruce Wayne, you know? So like it's, there's, there's redeeming qualities in all of them. So saying best and worst is a little, maybe not too accurate because I can find something to like in all of these films. Extra, extra credit question here that I forgot to add on extra credit. Yeah. Uh, best, best Alfred. Oh, uh, Michael Go from from the tim burton and um schumacher films absolutely by far. it's, it's yeah. just like that's not going to change that's number no. one with a bullet uh i know you're going to talk about it when you get to this the movie but i'll say it here in case i'm not on the episode there's a moment between george clooney and alfred and uh, alfred uh, michael go in batman and robin which is the best summation of batman's motivation as a character in any of the films so we're going to talk Same. about it for sure yeah because i okay. uh i feel like you've shared this with me uh <laughs> yes. over karaoke nights or at bob's <laughs> and i'm true. like i think about it i'm like man it's actually true it's like yeah it's the perf- little- one of the most perfect moments in any of the batman films and people overlook it because it's uh, in the in that particular movie worst alfred i wasn't crazy about jeremy irons i mean he's barely in those films mm-hmm. but i it just doesn't work for me so michael go is like my number one uh, if I had to pick another one, it would be I think Michael Caine is a, is a great Alfred. Oh yeah, um, I think so. And then um, worst, 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 worst. I don't know. I don't think any of them were that bad. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I that he's probably my least favorite one, Jeremy Irons, because he's in my least favorite movies that have Batman in them. So yeah, I kind of liked what he was doing in those movies. It wasn't okay. it wasn't spectacular, but no. it wasn't. I, I'm dubious of um of uh, Andy Serkis as Alfred, but we'll see. Yeah, so I'm I'm holding. Yeah, maybe I'm holding judgment until I see that one on the worst Alfred healthily skeptical about that but also <laughs> that usually ends up paying off so who knows i do yeah. love andy circus and i feel bad being skeptical about it but <laughs> I, I, yeah it's exactly. just yeah it's just not the first person i think of but maybe that'll make him great yeah paul thank you for uh hopping on and talking about batman which i know you love to do so. <laughs> my pleasure old chum always good to talk to you especially <laughs> about batman <laughs> i mean and yeah anytime for sure and well i mean i'm sure you'll if you're up for it, we'll have you back on for at least another movie. I really, I'd really love to have you on for the for the Nolan ones. I think that would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, um, I, I I deserve to. I should revisit those films again. I've not seen them in quite a while, especially uh, Dark Knight Rises. I don't think I've seen it since I saw it in the theater. That one I definitely need to rewatch and reconsider. So, yeah. carve out a, a weekend because it's about <laughs> seven, 17 hours long. That's true. Yeah. Good lord. <laughs> And again, uh, some some days you can get rid of a bomb in that movie. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much, and we'll we'll uh, we'll see you back on here soon for more bat chat. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> Thanks to Paul for being on today. This has been best one since the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at b one n one pod. Make sure to subscribe rate and review us on apple podcasts it helps us move up those charts and uh become visible which helps especially being a newer podcast also make sure to ring the bell on spotify and give us five stars on that new rating system on thank you to everyone that's done it so far i saw that it like populated as all five stars at this point i really i really appreciate that uh especially being like i said such a new show and thanks to everyone for reaching out and dming the instagram account and things like that and just and and the kind words from there it's it's Really nice to hear that. Thanks to Christian Cramo, Josh Stacy, and Rick Johnson for our theme song. Uh, next week, we're tackling 
the Tim Burton series, Batman 89, a seminal moment in my, in my life <laughs> and uh, Batman returns uh, two of the most kick-ass movies ever created. Stay tuned for that. The podcasting debut of Joel Gilbert. Oh, nice. he said he's he said he's nervous that he'll be bad at podcasting which i was like i don't think that's possible man no it's not no no um there's more than one way to podcast um (laughs) and joel just so you know you are number one guy that's your little that's your pump up that's your preview for next week where it's just gonna be us talking about jack palance for two and a half hours (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you next week same back time same bat channel I'm going to put the actual sound effect there. I'm not going to keep that in. (laughs) Maybe I should just use my own.